There are lots of amens from the heavens. And uh, I expect y'all to provide more illustrations of the message this morning as we go along. I thought it was funny as I was uh, looking away from Brad because I was about tearing up like he was when he started telling that story. I found an attendance card in the pew rack in front of me. And it's one that Tate Spencer filled out himself, but he didn't get picked up. Uh, and uh, it's really precious. Today's day, J-R-R, J-A-R, it's January. Books of the Bible read, Genesis, right on schedule. I want to re- let uh, Tate remind you that we are doing our daily Bible readings, and we're not in Genesis anymore, and it's not January anymore but I hope you're reading your Bible and staying up and encouraging each other. You're going to want to have a Bible and have it open to Philippians. And we're only going to point to two specific verses in Philippians, but there are going to be a lot of other verses on the screen unless the lights go out. And if the lights go out, understand, uh, the first Sunday we opened a big new worship center seat, 1,500 people in Austin, uh, we get about 20 minutes into the service and one of our special needs little boys, William, reached up and grabbed the fire alarm. And when he grabbed the fire alarm, not on, on his way to, to Children's Church, not only did it send the fire alarm and we kind of calmed everybody down, but it meant that there was only one mic and it was in the sound room that would work until the fire department came and switched it off. So we had 1,470-something people crammed in this building, and I managed to preach just fine without a microphone. So if the lights go out and the slides don't work, don't worry about it. Unless a tornado's coming, we're going to be just fine, and we're going to keep on trucking. And I'm willing to bet about two-thirds of you have a Bible that's backlit anyway, so we're just going to keep on going. Because Jesus preached in the elements, I sure can too. So... Let me tell you the two scriptures right up front. Philippians 2, verse 13. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Kind of hoped it would thunder about now. The God who paints every sunset. The God who chooses the color for every sunrise. The God who dwells in the clouds that bump elbows and cause the thunder. That God had fingerprints on you in your mother's womb. And it doesn't matter what family you came from, or you were a biological child, or you were adopted into a family. Those fingerprints are a reminder that he knows you and cares about you. It's also true as a church. And we're in the last stages of the search. I mean, we are in that last stretch run. And your search team 
I had three meetings as a group with different candidates this past week. They will meet again with those same candidates this week. After we get done with the potluck next Sunday, uh, they're going to meet, and it's going to be one of those come-to-Jesus meetings. And we're expecting Jesus to show up and help lead us in the direction that he wants you as a church to go. I've already alerted the elders to be ready to meet next Sunday night because whether there's a final decision or not, we're going to be down to the nitty-gritty and Jimmy Paul is going to have to come inform them of some important decisions and be ready to give them lots of information on some folks your search team has given their hearts and souls to, to listen to the leading of the Spirit and say, Lord, who, who's the right family for us? So I want to ask you to be in prayer each day this week and all the way through the first year anniversary of your new preacher because we're now in that crucial moment. And so it's important that you not only hear that God is at work in you or as we'd say in Texas, God is at work in y'all to willing to work for his good pleasure. But go back to chapter 1 and verse 6. Understand, Paul had demonstrated to them that, that being a Christian is not easy. Remember, he was beaten and thrown into jail in Philippi and run out of town. And they knew that there was a cost that went with that, and they'd suffered some persecution themselves, and their brothers and sisters just down the road, just down I-20, the Ignatian Way in Thessalonica, they had had lots of abuse. So they knew it was costly. And so he could say to them in Philippians 1, 6, I'm fully confident that he who began a good work in y'all, Jew plural, will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. God's at work here. He's not abandoned you, and he's not going to abandon the search team, and we believe God is going to partner us with the right person. So it's real important, and that's why we're doing this little series on Macedonian maturity that we be the right kind of people to partner with this church and with a new minister. Over the last uh, year or so, there's been a prayer that I pray. Some of it has to do with you, you turn 60 and you go. I remember when I thought turning 30 meant I was nearly dead. I'm serious. And I turned 60. And then all of a sudden, I started having grandchildren, and things changed. No longer kind of coasting through life, but things took on an urgency and an importance. And so I began to pray this prayer off and on, a lot of mornings. Oh, God, you have taught me from earliest childhood. And I constantly tell others about all the wonderful things you do. Ah, uh, but now that I am old and gray, some of you identify, even if you have a landing strip between the gray, okay, now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O oh God, but let me proclaim your power to this 
coming generation. Your mighty works to all who come after me. I'm speaking to everybody today. But if you're above 50, understand that you're in front of the mirror with me. And this message is for us. And it's one we got to hear. And it's un-American. But it's all Jesus. Oh God, you have taught me from earliest childhood. Let me proclaim to future generations your mighty power. The miracles you do. Not because I've just read them in Scripture, but because I've experienced them. I'm seeing them in my life day to day. And just because I'm older doesn't mean I'm any less idealistic. We choose to be less idealistic because we choose cynicism over hope. You remember the mark of the new age, Acts 2. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. Age is not an excuse for being a dreamer or passionate or living on the edge. When I was uh, at the ripe old age of 25, I introduced you to some of this last week. My dad had finished his 10-year battle with uh, a lung disease. He was not a smoker. He, he had pneumonia a bunch as a little kid and had damage in his lungs and it eventually claimed his life. And so when my dad passed, the preacher, Lynn Anderson, took his Bible from the hospital room. My mom had given it to him. But I was designated by the family to talk to Lynn about what all we wanted in the funeral. And he knew, he knew my dad well, and he knew our family well. But he said, Phil, what scripture would your dad want to have read at the funeral? And I said, Lynn, I don't, I don't know for sure. My dad didn't mark up his Bible much. And said, you've had it, so you probably have already figured out what's important to him by looking at that, because that's what we do a lot of times when we do a funeral. So we like to look at the person's Bible kind of ruminate in the stuff that they had thought about and marked up. But I said, 2 Corinthians 4, the end of the chapter, the beginning of chapter 5, I know that's what he hung on to in those, those difficult times. And uh, he opened it up. And he said, there's only one part of your dad's Bible that's highlighted in color. There are few places that are highlighted in pencil. But this is highlighted in neon yellow, orange, and blue. And it's the end of 2 Corinthians 4. That was the technicolor part of my dad's Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 8 through 18. And so when we read it in, in just this next moment, I want you to realize... This is not theory for us. This is existential reality. This is the way to do a gut check and keep walking for us. This is what it says. To a people in whom God is at work, to will and to work for his good pleasure.
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, there are people on the pews beside you. There may be a person on the pew within you that's dealing with big monster stuff that's not easy to handle. There are folks in this church that are dealing with awful, hard stuff right now. But the reality is every one of us is going to. So we needed this. Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for this light and momentary set of troubles. You remember Romans 8, 18? I don't compare the troubles that we have now worth comparing to the glory to be revealed in us. And Paul's talking about being beaten and left for dead, stoned and left for dead, being beaten, being thrown in prison. And he says these light and momentary troubles, risking my life, being beat up, being thrown in jail, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all those troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is just temporary. But what is unseen, it's eternal, it lasts. The ultimate test of life is whether or not we believe that. And we don't decide it when we're facing death. We decide it when we start getting older. And we show whether or not we believe that's true by how we approach what's happening around us and what we live for. Because it's really easy for us to forget that God is at work in us. I mean, when you buy shoes, not because of style, but because of your feet being sore in the morning... Or when you choose a mattress because in the old days they called it the rheumatism because your shoulders or your hip or your back hurt and when you have to stretch, when you get up in the morning before you can go to the bathroom and anybody over 50 knows how urgent the second is and you still have to stretch to get out of bed, it's not easy to keep your eyes set on what's eternal. And it's easy to forget that God is at work in us. But my personal heroes have been those folks that lived 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Not just my dad. But I think of my mentors who changed more the last 30 years of their life than they did the first 30 years of their life. Who changed their thinking more the last 30 years of their life. Not reaching back to hold what they had, but hearing the call of God, the upward call toward Jesus. I think of a guy like Joe, uh, Joe McKissick. Not many of you know Joe. He was the pioneer in Churches of Christ on gerontology and ministry to aging adults. But before that, he had been a missionary in Africa. And then after that, he came back and he preached a little bit, but he wasn't a really great preacher. But he's an incredible minister, so he got into prison ministry. And then he got into gerontology ministry. And he turned 80, and we were doing all these mission trips. And he said, I'm over 80, 
And I don't care. I want to go back to Africa and lead more Africans to Jesus. So he did it, just like a bunch of folks here have gone to Ghana. And he did that, but that wasn't enough. He put together a mission trip made up of no one but his family, his kids and his grandkids. And they did a mission trip to Africa and led people to Jesus. That inspired a group of our older ladies. And they decided, well, if Joe can do it, I can do it. And, you know, the youngsters in the bunch that were 70 and 71 kind of chided the ones that were a little older and said, we're going to do this as a class. There was a class of 11 women. Now, they jokingly called, most of them were widows, and they called themselves the unwed mothers. (laughs) And so the unwed mothers went to Africa and made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and loved on kids while the ministry team ministered to others for Jesus. Though our outward nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Why? Because God is at work in us. He's got a place for us to go. And it's true also of some of my Bible heroes. Think of some of the great heroes of the Bible that got better as they got older. Think of that little story in Luke 2 where you have Anna and Simeon. Old as dirt. And one of them says, God... You can take me now. Let me, let me go in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've answered your promise. And the other one, who'd been a widow for 70 years, over 70 years, and she sees the baby Jesus, she goes and tells everybody the Messiah has come. But unfortunately, not everybody was faithful. They weren't like Enoch. You remember Enoch. Enoch was an old dude in Genesis, and he had this relationship with God, and he walked faithfully with God. And then the Bible says, then he was no more because God took him. I don't know exactly how that happened. Scotty beamed me up or what, you know, exactly how that happened, but he was just gone. But the way I imagine it is, Unlike most of our Bible heroes who got worse at the end of their life, Enoch had grown so accustomed to walking with God that they were on one of their lengthy walks. And God said, hey, Enoch, we walked so far together today, we're a little closer to my place than to yours. Why don't you just stay with me permanently? And isn't that a good image of what aging in Jesus should be, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are preparing or achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on this stuff that all these Americans chase after, that the advertisers make us lust for. We don't put our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because this seen stuff is temporary. It can be blown away by a tornado or washed away by a flood. But what we invest in is eternal. But unfortunately, a lot of folks don't live that way. And in the Bible, a lot don't. They don't live by the philosophy, Oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and so 
I'm thankful to constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. They don't pray, God, now that I'm old and gray, don't abandon me, O God, but let me live long enough with passion enough, with reality enough, with integrity enough that I can tell future generations about your power and tell everybody else the miracles you do, not in the past tense, but the stuff you do now that defies description. But unfortunately, a lot of folks don't live that way. And they didn't that live that way always in Bible times. They abused their privilege. They took revenge. They made ungodly alliances. They chased after riches. They used people as toys. They grew angry and cynical and mean. And they became less. Note, they became less when God wanted to make them more. You want some examples? Well, there's a bunch of them. But there's a story of David. And David, when he was run out of the palace because of Absalom's unbelievable, ugly escapades, Abishag humiliated David, threw rocks at the king as he withdrew from the palace. He uttered curses on him. And I've heard a lot of preachers preach about David forgiving Abishag when he went back into power. And he did at first. But when David got on his deathbed, he leaned over to Solomon. He said, Solomon, don't forget to deal with Abishag as he deserves. And so when David died, based on David's vengefulness, Solomon had Abishag murdered. I don't want to be that way. I don't want you to be that way. I don't want life to become colorless. I don't want it to be all about nostalgia. Remember the good old days that weren't really that good. It's just when we had control and we had power and we had influence. I want you to say with me, Oh God, you have taught me from earliest childhood. And I remember great things you've done. And I love to tell everyone about the marvelous things that you do. And as I get older, don't abandon me. I'm trusting that you're still at work in me. Instead, let me proclaim your mighty power to future generations so they know that living for Jesus is not about past tense stuff that was long ago and far away, but it's about a God and a Holy Spirit that moves and is at work in His people to change lives and to change things and to change history. God is at work in us. Three simple statements. God is at work in us. The Almighty, He's not done with us. He's at work in us still, and as long as we're willing to be wet cement, He's fashioning us into something more and something better. But we've got to choose to be wet cement rather than cement that's hardened, that looks at things one way. Well, I decided that 20 years ago. I studied that 40 years ago. I already decided that. That's hardened cement. 
leaves no room for the Holy Spirit to change us. We don't even leave room for God to be at work in us. God is at work in us, the creator, the master, architect, designer, painter. He's at work in us. Both the will and the work. He, he has a plan for us. He has stuff he wants us to do. And even though we don't consider our life to be ministry, he does. And he wants us to do, abolish this. Well, that's the paid staff of the church and they're the ministers and we're here to be pleased and to be catered to. But no, he's at, he's at work in all of us. To will and to work to see his work happen. And on top of that, it's for his good pleasure. Some of you that are in the group that I'm specifically targeted today remember the movie Chariots of Fire, right? And Eric Little is going to compete for Great Britain in the Olympics. But he's promised to be a missionary to China. And his sister has already begun that mission to China. And she gets on him and says... You need to be here. You promised to be here. And he said, I believe what I'm doing now can give me even greater influence to, for people to honor God. And she says, you need to be here. You made this promise. And he said, I'm going to honor that promise. But when I run, I feel his pleasure. Some of you know the story. He was a sprinter, a 100-meter sprinter. That was his best race. But it was run on Sunday, and he wouldn't compete on that day. Kind of convicting in the age of select soccer and baseball, isn't it? But I've gone to meddling, so I need to shut up and move on. But instead, he ran the 400 meters. Not his race. And he won the Olympic gold. There's the amen. And then he went on to China as a missionary. He was killed by the Japanese when the Japanese invaded China and committed all the atrocities. Southeastern China. Giving his life for others to know Jesus. Testimony was now heard by millions, not just because of then, but because... His life became a testimony in the thing that he felt called to. Each of you are called to something. You may call it your job, but God put you there on purpose. He gave you a circle of influence, a group of people. Those people are the place of your ministry. The folks that you interact with, you're their taste and touch and aroma of Jesus. They're the ones that see whether or not you're doing his work. So I want to ask you, if you're willing, we're going to sing an invitation song in just a second. And I'd like for you to respond. I'd like everybody to respond. Either with a card, and I'm going to ask you to put it up here in front of the pulpit, and I'm going to share them with the elders. doesn't have to have your name on it. Or you can respond by text, and I'll give them uh, these. And again, I don't have your names associated with numbers on that text number. Uh, so if you... Uh, email me and start telling me stuff. I don't know who you are because I purposefully don't have it connected to the address book on this phone. But I want you to tell me what you want to give the rest of your life 
at least this stage of your life, to do and to honor the King. And it can be a ministry at church, or it can be a ministry through your work. But I'm asking everybody to respond. And if you choose not to, you don't have to answer to me. You just have to deal with the thunder. Because God's at work in you. I guess I probably ought to leave that up, and we don't need to put up these other slides. But God is at work in you, both the willing to work for his good pleasure. And he's already promised that he's going to work everything in your life out for your good if you love him and are called according to his purpose, his will and good pleasure. So what are you going to do? What are you going to invest in? What are you going to be busy doing when your new preacher lands? Because that's important. And what are you going to be praying? I want to invite you to step into Psalm 71 and begin praying that prayer if you're over 40, 45, 50. Oh God, you have taught me from earliest childhood. And I tell everyone about the marvelous things you're doing. But now that I'm getting a little older and gray, I want to have church the way I want it. Or I want it to be the way it used to be. No. Now that I'm old and gray, God, don't abandon me. Because I want to, I want to tell of your mighty works to this new generation. I want them to capture that passion and to see people that are older, that are moving closer to Jesus and not closer to their wants and their likes and their nostalgia. I want to tell future generations of all the miracles that you're doing. And oh God, I want to be one of those miracles. So what are you going to give your life to this next stage? That's between you and the God of thunder as we stand and sing.